Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, and you're here with us again for another episode of Redefining Success. Joining me today is Brant Cooper, CEO of Moves the Needle and author of, what is it, Disruption Proof, which just that entire name in today's world has me completely compelled. I've got to know more about what it means to be disruption proof. So Brant, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Eric. Good to be here. Yeah. So my first question is always the same. So Saturday afternoon, I fired up the barbecue grill and I've invited all my friends over. My listeners are my friends. Would you please introduce yourself to my friends? Hi, I'm Brent Cooper. Uh, I like to empower people to create value in the world for other human beings. Mm. Mm. That's deep. That's a whole lot lot in that statement. Wow! Well, you you gotta you gotta drop something in there that that uh, gets people to ask you a question, right? Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. So what? What? How do you best get to empower people? I'm going to start with that one. What? What? What's well, the way that you've been gifted to be able to empower people? Yeah, I think that um, I, you know, somewhere in my life, I decided I was not going to take the path that other people were taking, and I think at a young age relatively young, post-college, but, you know, young man. Uh, I, I dropped out of work, the, mm-hmm. the 95 grind, and went and wrote uh, the great American novel, which was American, but not very great. But <laughs> the effort sort of gave me the, the, I don't know, the knowledge that I was going to be able to take care of myself n- no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. That I didn't, that I didn't have... I didn't have to have the job in the moment, you know, whether it's saving or side hustles or jobs or whatever it was, I was going to be able to be responsible for my own economy. Now, frankly, I think that that's actually a very privileged point of view. And I think I did, I would, I am a privileged human being. I I have opportunities that other people haven't had, but that knowledge of myself Mm. Uh, it gives you so much freedom. I mean, to me, that is what it, freedom is, is can you take care of yourself? And then obviously, if you have family, can you can you take care of the the economy, your 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 economy, your economics uh, without being, you know, super dependent on other people? Yeah. What was um, <clears throat> what was the moment of going from I'm scared like, like you've got to have a little bit of courage, but at the same time, it's got to be really, really scary 
to really kind of figuring that out. There kind of had to at least be some moments of shifting of moving from fear to maybe more certainty inside of it. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think that uh I mean I never was I never considered myself really an entrepreneur because I think that uh, I sort of bought into the mythology that the entrepreneur has to be, you know, this uh uh somebody has this eureka moment, you know, where the idea, the light bulb goes off over your head and and I actually don't think that that's true. I think most of entrepreneurship is hustle more than it is like some great idea that I, you know, predicted the future or whatever. And so I think that, uh, I think I worked and saved some money and then, and then took the leap and then having taken the leap and maybe it's just because I was young and, and, and stupid. I mean, I don't know. It was like, it was just, I took the leap and then, I several years after that went back and got regular jobs and worked and and I sort of joke uh nobody wanted to manage me every the managers were all passing me around like a hot potato and it was because I wanted to do things my way and so I'm you know I'm sort of easing towards this definition of entrepreneurship right right I wanted to do things my own way and and so nobody wanted to manage me because they wanted to demonstrate how smart they were by doing it a particular way and I was supposed to just do what I was told and maybe I should have, I don't know, but <laughs> it, it wasn't until I joined my first startup then in the, in the nineties, the late nineties up in the Bay area that I go, Oh, well, wow. There are actually companies that want you to do things your own way. They want you to go figure it out. They mm -hmm. want you to admit what you don't know and go learn how to do it to make sure that what you're working on is driving impact in the business. And so that was sort of his first inkling that like, oh, wait a second, that actually is a skill and it's and it's valuable to some companies. And that is actually where you can really drive change in the world. Right. So if you're if you're locked inside of a job and all you're supposed to do is what somebody tells you to do, are you really driving any change in the world? Mm. It sure doesn't feel like it. Yeah. And so I think that that's sort of the. Those little items, you add those up, those are sort of what gave me the confidence to to then sort of start living the way I wanted to 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 live. And, and that really meant, how do I get other people to get to that same point of realization yeah. that I had had? Yeah. So what are, Brent, what are you most passionate about today? Well, so for the last 10 years or so, I've been helping very large corporations become more entrepreneurial. And, you know, to be honest, that's, it's sort of tilting at windmills. <laughs> and, uh, and so that can be pretty frustrating. Um, and so I, I think that I'm, I feel like I'm getting back to uh, how do I, how do I help people reach economic freedom? How do I teach people even to just do side hustles, right? Not everybody has to go and become a unicorn startup or whatever. Um, and so how can you help? And, and, it, and actually the, the possibilities today are greater than ever, right? The whole gig economy and, yeah. and all of that. So I, I, I think that it's, my passion is to help people, you know, figure out what, what actually gives them, what can they become passionate about? And I phrased that in that way on purpose, but where can they apply their passion? Where can they feel like they're making a difference or contributing to the world in the way that they want to. And so I've kind of broadened that definition, even of, of entrepreneurship. I just, I think people have to figure out what, what makes them passionate, which is different than 
do what you're passionate about. And so mm. there's a, like a subtle difference there. Uh, you know, and and I'm guessing your audience knows, you, you, you don't get to just do what you're passionate about. I joke when I'm on stage sometimes <laughs> that I love bacon and basketball. So it's like, what, you know, my next startup has got to be about bacon and basketball. But <laughs> I, I, I don't think it works that way, right? And anytime you're building a business, you actually have to do a bunch of things that you don't want to do that aren't sexy. They're not fun. And so you actually have to apply your passion to those things as much as you do to the things that that you enjoy doing in order to build and grow your business. Mm. And so I think that that's that's sort of this little key that I I feel like I can I can help people uh, learn that. And then actually there's some techniques to figure out balance in your life so that you're not doing this arbitrary split between work and in your home life or work and the rest of your life. Right. And all in pursuit of things that make you a contented human being. What has been kind of maybe the biggest thing, especially if you've been on this journey or you've coached others through this journey, what's the, maybe the biggest misconception that holds people back from moving into entrepreneurship? Well, I think that it's, I think I've mentioned a couple of them because they happened to me. One is that you have to have the big idea. And mm. so there's no not, no reason that you need to get started until you have some eureka moment. Uh, and it's just not true. And I'd love to, you know, there's just a zillion examples and I've included some of those in my books. Um, but some of the entrepreneurs that we just think are the most, you know, biggest visionaries in the world, they may be visionaries, but it wasn't because they had some aha moment while they were tinkering with, you know, computer chips in the garage. The other one is, again, you know, this is just a startup myth is do what you're passionate about. And I don't yeah. think that's true. It's really be passionate about what you're doing. And then I add, I think that even kind of going along with those two, uh, there's sort of this idea that you can just have faith in your idea and conviction about your idea and you, and you just have to push it no matter what. And that's not true either. I mean, that's mm. sort of like part of the mythology around the visionary that you can have a great idea, but you, you'll likely have to change it several times to find success. And so there's this really challenging part of the most challenging part of our entrepreneurship, I think is setting a North star where you're actually on the journey and you're going somewhere versus listening to the market to figure out how to get there. Mm. Right. And so the, the analogy has been said a zillion times. I, I, I didn't invent it, but you know, if you're, if you're trying to reach some, you know, mountain several States away, uh, you don't go as the crow flies, you know, you actually have to, uh, follow the roads and know when to turn and where, when not to turn and all those type of things. The path there is going to be, uh, zigzaggy at best. Uh, and a matter of fact, you're going to probably go in the wrong direction a few times. <laughs> and so if you keep that in mind, that's fine. That's actually where the hustle and the ta- tenacity, the perseverance comes in. Um, but I think that there, there, there's, again, there's some mythology in the world that it's like, oh no, you just have to go stick to it and it'll happen. And, and I don't, I've, I've had enough failures in my life to know that's not true. What is the, um, and I guess it could be either or, and maybe you've already answered, but what's the mindset shift that happens that does one or two that moves the person from, hey, yeah, I'm going to go try and do this. Or is the mindset that you see, and maybe again, it comes back to what you already said, but keeps them from getting out of their hustle. Is there is there anything that's common that that has to shift 
for the entrepreneur to go from, and this is really what I'm getting down to, is this idea of, hey, I've got maybe a sure thing and a salary or whatever here versus I'm going to I'm gonna take the chance on me to make an income and make sure that I'm supporting myself. Yeah, I mean, there's two things. One is uh, I don't really think in this day and age that you have to take the leap. I mean, mm. when I was younger, I made the leap and I, I guess I just... I think that there was probably a uh, safety net. Um, when you're older and you have a family, I'm not sure you should be making the leap. I think that you do need to take care of your people first. Uh, but that's why some of the techniques that I talk about and write about uh, are about testing and validating ideas. And you can mm. do that on the side. And that's what's really cool about the world that we live in today is that you can actually pick up some side hustle, some side revenue, or you've got an idea. How do I test and validate the idea and get enough evidence from the market before I take the leap? Mm. Uh, I think it's kind of an interesting story. I, I'm I'm divorced now, but I think that the there was a contract I had with, with, with sort of a contract I had with my wife at the time that I was going to be a fully employed person. And then when I made... I wanted to, in order to satisfy who I was as a human being, I wanted to go back out and be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. It's sort of understandable to her that that wasn't really the contract. And so that's that's kind of a crazy thing, right? I mean, that's right. not what she bought into and maybe that's fair, right? And so I think that people have to be cognizant of that when they're sort of evaluating what they're going to do in the future. Like, what is my family, what have they grown to depend on? And can I really just, is it fair for me to just make a leap? Well, it's fair if you bring enough evidence that your idea is going to generate yeah. enough money to take care of it. I think that the other big mind shift, mind shift uh, thing, and I, I love that you talk about mindset stuff, is is the concept of I don't know. So mm. I don't know is scary to most people. Uh, most success people get inside of at least bigger businesses is because they either know or they successfully pretend to know. You're not supposed to admit, you're not supposed to be vulnerable and admit when you don't know. But all opportunity exists in I don't know. Mm. Oppor opportunity doesn't really exist in I know because there's a bunch of other people that also know. And so, yeah, you can still maybe win. It takes a lot of hustle and a lot of money. But I don't know. This idea that I have to actually go and learn, that I have to explore, mm. that I might be able to discover insights that not everybody does know that's actually where opportunity exists. And so I think when people are doing side hustles or they're doing startups or they've got an idea, admitting that you don't know all of the answers and then taking the time to go and do the research and talk to customers and potential customers and run experiments and start gathering this market-based evidence for your idea, that's actually sort of building what you do know then. We don't wanna stay in, I don't know, uh, but, but we build the evidence because we're allowed to admit that we don't know, right? It yeah. automatically opens up the the learning and the exploration, which is what we do naturally as human beings. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, kind of on this journey, Brent. What <laughs> as you get here and now you're kind of leading people and taking them through and and writing books and things like that. What have been some of the biggest obstacles that have kind of come along the way, especially those? You know, the name of the show is redefining success that have taken you from, hey, I thought this was where I was supposed to go, but I went through this and it really showed me that, you know, that wasn't what I was looking for. Well, you know, there's just like, there's just a crazy number of those. I mean, it just seems like, I don't know, maybe not everybody lives a life like this, but I, <laughs> I, 
I always feel like there's success up to a point and then it's failure. And then you're like, it's like, it's sort of like the, I don't know if you've heard of the term product market fit, but there's like these people that, that like to think about product market fit as being binary. Like I found product market fit and I'm going to grow forever. Mm. And really growth isn't binary. Growth is you grow a little bit, you plateau and maybe tail off a little bit. And then you have to go and rediscover something and you grow again. Well, so to me, that's the trajectory of life. And I have like some success at my job and then something happens and it doesn't go very well. And I move to the next job and figure something out and it succeeds again. And then the same thing has been in the entrepreneurial career. And I think it's, um, I don't know, maybe some people are just gifted with all this, but I had success in my business. We were growing leaps and bounds. And and my thought was, is that to get exponential growth, you really learn how to, you have to learn how to empower your employees. So if if it's just you and five or 10 people, and again, all of these people are just doing what you, what you say, the, your growth is limited by how much bandwidth you have. And so you actually have to raise the ability of other people to be able to also go and, uh, and, and, and give growth to 10 more people. Right. And so if you have 10 people and you give it to 10 people, now you've got the capacity for a hundred, but how do you teach people to be empowered? I mean, I think I failed at that. I just like, at first I thought it was like, well, don't you just say you're empowered, go do it. And it's like, <laughs> no, you actually have to teach them the behavior of what it means to be empowered and what they're allowed to do. And, and, this is a silly little example, but you know we always use Slack and I'm slacking and I'll see some message come in and I'll go, I know the answer to that. And I'll just start typing away, like I'm gonna give the answer. And then, and then I'll pause and go, but wait a second, the question was actually directed to this other person. Mm. And so by me jumping in and answering it, even though I'm faster, I'm actually disempowering that person. Mm. And if I do it enough times, that person's not even gonna ever act answer the question they're just going to wait for me to do it and so it's like little moments like that where you're like wow i have to reinforce my confidence in people to to be able to come up with a good enough answer i think this is another trap for uh entrepreneurs and founders is that they measure their people to the same level of doing something that they themselves would do Mm -hmm. and it's completely understandable but what you really want to do is get your people so that they're doing it at the level that's good enough that the customers are still satisfied and you're creating value for them and your customers are happy. That's good enough. Everything above that is actually kind of fluff and maybe even wasteful. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things that's hard, hard for a founder who has their own expertise to set a lower, mm-hmm. a lower threshold for, for their other people. Yeah. Brent, well, tell us about the book disruption proof. Yeah, well, so disruption proof. It started out as uh, as the lessons learned from trying to quote unquote move the needle for large enterprises for ten years, but I wrote it during the pandemic, mm. and so the book kind of changed because, wow, uh, suddenly the core part of businesses was faltering. Right, so you mm. you. Back in the day, a lot of the companies we were working with their future products or innovation or, or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and and there was sort of this belief that 
the core business was purely in execution mode. They got to do what they did yesterday and they got to do it to a T and they'll continue to have success. And then, you know, bam, COVID happens and the core business is gone. Their business uh, customers are not buying. Their consumers are not buying. Everybody's wondering what's going on. So how quickly can you change? How quickly can you adapt your business to the new world, the new normal? And so that's actually what the book ended up being about. So when I talk about disruption and disruption proof, I'm not talking about sort of the classic uh, innovator's dilemma or disruptive innovation that Clayton Christensen talked about. It's really about this is the new normal. Pandemic, supply chain, inflation, war, uh, ransomware attacks, uh, the big quit. These things are have always happened. But because we're in this digital world now, this global interconnectedness, the speed of information, the speed of disinformation means that those things all ripple across the world in ways that they never did before. They affect, you know, every one of those things is affecting us. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Whereas it used to be isolated. Now they all affect us. And so the new normal is, in my opinion, that we will continue to continue to have these disrupt disruptive events then make it so our business is always faced with some degree of complexity and uncertainty. The whims of our customers are going to change. Their buying capability will change. They're reading reviews. They're getting all of this information. Is it true or is it not true about my business? All of these things affect your day-to-day -day business. And so all of these things that I've been teaching for entrepreneurs and, and startups I think now apply to the core business, mm. not to the same degree. They don't have to reinvent their whole business, but they have to be able to admit that when they don't know and face down that uncertainty and go into exploration mode in order to continuously recalibrate that blueprint that used to be so yeah. solid. Now that you have to recalibrate it and you have to recalibrate it on a regular basis. And that's what's going to make a company survive a long time, be resilient, be able to respond to uh, to pandemics that are starting on the other side of the world, to be able to, to dynamically change what you're working on based upon new information. Mm. Mm. That's so good. What you were, so you said when we started the interview that kind of taking these ideas to the bigger corporations at time was a little bit of a little bit of a headache. Are you finding them more receptive post pandemic than maybe they were before or what? What's your experience no, on that front? Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody, like, I think that they resonate with the ideas, but I don't think that they really know what to do about it yet. I think that mm. the, the, so like the digital companies have done very well. And, and that's really not a surprise because the way those businesses have naturally organized themselves and naturally progressed is to be agile and dynamic and being able to take in, they're more customer centric. So getting the old companies to shift over to that, you know, we've got a lot of digital transformation programs out there, but people tend to focus on the technology. And the funny thing is to me is the technology is the easy part. Now, yeah. these companies are not reinventing technology. They're applying existing technology, but, but technology is somehow the easy part to understand as opposed to how do you manage differently? How do you structure your company differently so that you get sort of this natural behavior out of it? And so I think that companies are struggling with that big companies. I think that the, I think that they get it. I think that they understand they need to be do, do things differently, but they tend to do 
change top down and you can't really mandate behavior change like that. You have to teach it and you have to practice it and you have to teach leaders new skills and you have to practice that. And so you have to sort of act like a startup, even inside the large business where you're figuring out what works and in a small way and then doubling down on what works. And, and, and that's sort of what is what creates the momentum of change as opposed to hiring a big consulting firm who goes and, you know, sort of, uh, reshuffles the, the deck chairs on the Titanic Titanic, to coin the phrase. (laughs) So you were telling me a little bit before we started, you've got some new classes that are launching on startupbluebook.com. Tell us a little bit about those and how people can take advantage of that. Yeah. So I think that, um, I've got one course up there that's launched now, which is just the really super basics of like trying to get people to get rid of the fear of starting a new mm-hmm. business. They often think that there's a lot of red tape and you got to get this license and you got to get this permit and you've got to do all this with taxes. And actually in the US, it's really super easy to get started. A matter of fact, it's really just deciding you're started. And so there's obviously some good practices you can do in there to ensure that you're structuring things right in the way uh, from the beginning. But I do want to just eliminate the fear that it's like I had when I first started that I really thought it was going to be bureaucratic. And it's really not, (laughs) especially in the digital age. And then I've got some uh, courses that will be coming out pretty soon, which really starts getting into how do you brainstorm ideas and then how do you test and validate them? So this idea, again, of being able to not spend a lot of money uh, launching as opposed to getting going by testing and validating your ideas and trying to figure out whether there's a, a market there based upon evidence in the market. So that'll be the first two courses. And then, uh, and then, you know, I've got, I've got more coming on the way beyond that as well. But uh, for people that are interested, I, I really just think that they ought to reach out. Uh, I'm Brant at BrantCooper.com and Brant Cooper on all social media yeah. Uh, and uh, connect on LinkedIn or whatever. And and uh, I can get you on a newsletter if you want to know when it launches, but you don't have to do that either. That's fine. But uh, yeah, that would be the best way to reach out. Okay. Well, I had one thing I wanted to ask you that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet, which was you talked about in the beginning, you know, empowering people to create businesses so that they can really kind of empower and help others. What's the greatest joy that you found in being in business on the health? Not the doing business part of it, the way that it echoes through the helping others part of that. What is the greatest joy you found in that? Yeah, I mean, so every once in a while, uh, I'm guessing this has happened to you too. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody come up and tell me that I've changed their life and that they've uh, become inspired to do something and they learned something and it gave them the confidence to do something there's really, there's, there's very little that is, is as special as that. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think a, a close second is, you know, we'll be inside one of these big organizations that's very hierarchical, very command and control. And you've got super smart people working there who are just scared to do anything. And we'll work with them for 90 days. It's sort of an accelerator program that we do. And we'll have 90, 95% of those people go like, I never want to go back to the way I I uh, was working before, and I think that you know not everybody's going to start their own business, not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. But if we can even get existing businesses to 
to make people's work life more satisfying so that they get to exercise their intelligence and their creativity, not only is that going to mean that we're going to be creating more value in the world because that's what smart people do, but also it, it, it provides a more healthy individuals, healthy people that they don't loathe going to work, but that they see that that's a way for them, that it's a natural part of their life and that they, it allows them to balance all of these other things that are going on in their life, I think. And so I think that's, it kind of, again, it gets back to the empowerment. It's really getting them though to, that's the whole key is it's they, they're the ones that have to have the, the bit flip in their head, right? They're the ones that actually have to, it's got to click for them. It's like, oh, now I get it. And so that's, uh, I guess that's the moment is you're just trying to get those people to go like, ah, now I see. <laughs> love that. Love that. You mentioned earlier how best to get in touch with you. Would you say BrantCooper.com? BrantCooper.com, StartupBlueBook.com, and MovesTheNeedle.com is for the corporates. But I'm also just Brant Cooper on all social media. So, Is there anything that you wanted to share that I did not get to ask you about? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, uh, that about, that about covers it. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Brent, we've come to the end of the show. My, my last question is always the same. So I'm going to ask you in three generations, what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? Uh, you know, I, not to sound repetitive, but I actually, I hope they, they feel like, uh, I, I practiced what I preached. I, I ate my own dog food is how we, I'm not sure that's what they'll still say then, but it's like that, that I, that I ended up creating value for other human beings in the world. Mm. And that, that, and so that that's what, that's what their role is. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Brent, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Yeah. It's a, thank you for the conversation, Eric. It was a lot of fun. All right. Everyone, we will be with you again next time on Redefining Success. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavant.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, 
all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Donovan, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.